This week, uh, we're going to continue in in Psalms. And so uh, last week, I kind of set a foundation for us of of how to to traverse through the Psalms. If you you remember, I I said that we should should come to the Psalms knowing that God has blessed us, that that He's poured out Himself for us to know Him and and to see His goodness, right? Uh, and so, and we should start from that place and then move towards being planted near uh, streams of living water, right? Committing ourselves to meditating on God's word day and night, right? And I told you that we were going to uh, traverse some of the emotions that come out throughout the Psalms. And that if we didn't have that grounding, we might get lost as we go through. So remember that we're approaching this as a, as a place, as a Christian who's following Christ as blessed, and that we want to be planted in God's word, okay? So today we're going to look at uh, Psalms 55. And Psalms 55 is... Uh, is a, is a text that is written specifically by David, and what you find in it is this, uh, this sense of overwhelming dread and fear uh, about a circumstance that, that David is experiencing. And so there are a number of Psalms which are directly linked to Old Testament passages that include the narrative of the story. And I told you last week that 2 Samuel, 1 Samuel, those, those books are the story. This is what's happening, and the Psalms are expressing the emotion behind those stories. And so what we're going to do is we're going to link Psalm 55 uh, with a text. It's not explicitly linked, but I think by the time we get through Psalm 55, you will see the connections to 2 Samuel 14 through 16. So what we're going to do today is uh, I'm going to have Dennis come up, and he's going to read us uh, a portion of the psalm. And I want you to to just slow down and take a breath and listen to the words that, that he reads from Psalm 55. You don't want to just yell? We'll get it. There we go. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and not hide yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan. Because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in the midst, oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me. Then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you 
a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. Thank you, Dennis. You might be able to see in that David's emotions already. And our goal today is to see how David traverses from this low point of betrayal of a friend turning against him and moving towards a higher place, a higher thought, right? Another way that you could put that is that David is moving from a place of insecurity towards security. And so a few weeks ago, I shared a sermon about three types of fools. And in that sermon, I covered the same exact story that I'm gonna gonna tell you now. But the difference is, is that I'm going to highlight different pieces. So if you were to go back and you were to listen to that same story and then listen to this story and you would say, maybe that's not the exact same story that's being shared. And I'm gonna tell you that that's how we ended up with four gospels, is that four different people are telling the same story from a different perspective. And so I'm gonna share with you 2 Samuel 14 through 16, just briefly different parts. And this is the story about uh, Absalom and his betrayal against his father. So I'm going to share the story, and then we're going to go through piece by piece in the psalm and look at where David was, his feelings and his emotions, where he started and where he ended. And so 2 Samuel gives this picture of uh, Amnon and Tamar, and we already went through the brutal details of that, right? Absalom ends up killing Tamar, or killing Amnon for his brutal attack against uh, Tamar. And so Absalom flees the city. He's ejected from Jerusalem for good reason, right? He's just killed his own brother. And so after a while, he, he starts to David becomes convinced to let him come back into the city, but he doesn't allow him to come into the palace. He says, I had to keep my distance from you. And so Joab, or sorry, Absalom seeks counsel with David. He says, I wanna be in your presence. He calls out to Joab, but Joab refuses to listen. And so eventually Absalom sets Joab's field on fire and Joab begins to listen. Absalom comes into King David's palace, and they're restored. Chapter 14 ends with David kissing his son's hand and reconciling with him. Absalom leaves that, that place with his father, that moment, and he goes out and he gets himself a chariot and some horses, and he builds himself a militia So that's kind of an odd thing to do after your dad kisses your hand. And he begins to bear out this plot of sitting at the gate of the the city and calling out to the people as they go by and saying, hey, uh, do you have an ear with the king? If not, I will listen to you. And if I were the king, I would 
listen to you and make sure that all of your problems are taken away. And every time they left, he would kiss the hand of the person that he was talking with. Isn't that just like every politician, you know? Let me hear your problems, let me get your vote, and then when it comes down to casting the ballot, I'll make sure that you're taken care of. But what was happening in Absalom's heart was, I just want to get to the place of power, right? And so after a while, he hatches this plan. He goes to his father and he asks to leave Jerusalem and go to Hebron. And then he goes back to his militia and he says, here's the plan. When I get to to Hebron, I want you to blow the trumpet and announce that I am king in Hebron. And so what Absalom does is he, he tells his guys this and then he invites unknowing Jewish members of Jerusalem to come to Hebron and to, for it to be seen as this party, this celebration, this anointing of a king, and he also brings David's uh, advisor, Ahithophel, along for the ride. And so the trumpets sound in Jerusalem, and, and David hears the news that Absalom has become king in Hebron, and he goes, wait, what? He says this, and Chapter 15, verse 14 says, Arise, let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us quickly and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And so he gathers his, uh, his members, the people who are close to him, the people that are still loyal to him, and he goes off into the wilderness yet again, Right? because of fear of what Absalom might do to him. And the text says that he's, he's walking through the wilderness and he, he comes to the Mount of Olives. And as he climbs Mount of Olives, he has his head covered and he's weeping. And all the members of his party are, are doing the same. Their heads are covered and they're weeping. I can't help but see Jesus in that moment. And David in his frustration, thinking about all that's happening, expresses himself to the Lord again. He says, Lord, please turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. So they keep making their way through. Can you imagine what that's like? Your son is trying to take your life and yet here you are fleeing again from another oppressor. And just for good measure, Shammai shows up, a descendant of Saul, a Benjaminite. He says, he's just hurling curses at David. And on top of that, he's throwing rocks at David. And Joab says, hey, why don't we just kill this guy? Let's be done with this. David's response is, look, my, my own son is trying to kill me. I don't really need to deal with this Benjaminite. I can, I can survive it. The Benjaminite is the least of my worries. Anyway, I mean, what I've done to Saul's family, like, this is exactly what I expect someone like him to be doing. And so David continues on his way, and as he's in the wilderness now, Absalom enters Jerusalem. And it must have been that this is as far as his plot had gotten because he gets into to Jerusalem and he turns to Ahithophel and he says, now what? What do I do now? 
2 Samuel 16, 20 through 22. Ahithophel said to Absalom, go into your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. And all Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father. And the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. I don't know if you know this, but Absalom had already become a stench to his father. And yet he's just piling on more reasons for David to be consumed by his son's actions, right? It's just an utterly tragic set of events, which, which ends in David and his son and their armies going to war with each other and Absalom dying. In the story of David, that's his third son that's perished during his lifetime. It's hard enough to just have one, right? And so throughout the story from 2 Samuel and Psalms 55, we can begin to see that these things are interlinked. I can't, I can't imagine that David is, is pinning this psalm and he's not considering Absalom's betrayal or Ahithophel's betrayal of him. He begins to express his emotions. So as we traverse Psalm 55, I'm just going to tell you where I am, and I'm going to tell you what I think is happening in, in David's heart. And so verse 1 through 3 of Psalm 55 starts like this. It says, give ear to my prayer, O God, and not hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. See, what happens when fear sets in is it robs us of our peace and it isolates us from others. So fear comes against me. What my tendency is to is to, to shield myself from any further harm or conflict. Let me just back away from this so that I can figure out how to deal with this. Right? Or maybe your response to fear is to become angry and lash out against whatever's causing that fear so that in the end, you can cease the fear, right? What David is pinning here reminds me so intricately of Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve take a bite of the apple, of the fruit. And their immediate response is to run and hide. God comes, as is their tradition, in the cool of the day to walk with them and talk with them, to, to bear out relationship with them. And God says, where are you? As if he doesn't know? Where are you? And Adam says, we're hiding. Why are you hiding? We're naked. Who told you you were naked? There's this barrier between them. 
And as David is writing Psalms 55.1, what he's saying is, please don't hide yourself from me. I need you to be here. But he's starting from a place of uncertainty, of not knowing. Are you going to listen to my words? I really need you to listen right now. And that moment might be hard to understand that God says that he's with us no matter what, right? How many of you have moments in your life where fear has so overcome you or thoughts have so overcome you that you begin to doubt that God is present in the situation? And what makes this particularly more difficult is what he says in verse 3. He says, uh, at the end of verse 2, he says, I'm restless and, my, and in my complaint, and I moan because of the noise of the enemy. David could be talking about the literal noise of the enemy outside of his camp, outside of his hiding place. But what I think is more relevant for us is the noise that's happening in our minds. The thoughts of what could happen The feeling of this fear is driving me towards a future possibility. Whether or not that future possibility is real, it's still affecting me right here, right now. So that's why it's crucial that we begin as blessed people planted in God's word. Because if you believe the lies that are streaming through your thoughts, it alters the way that you live your life, the way that you express your faith. But this is what Jesus says, John chapter 10, 27 and 28, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. What a difference that place makes when the voices come and the fear is overwhelming, right? For a lot of us, it's probably hard to always stay there. And David is telling you that he is quite often unable to stay there, right? That he gets sideways in his thoughts, just like we do. And then in verse 4 and 5, he tells you exactly what his emotions are in the moment. He says, my heart is in anguish. My heart is suffering within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. David in Penning this uses five different terms to describe his feelings and they're all negative. They're all based on the fear that he has from this overwhelming situation of him being uprooted from his home and his palace. Second Samuel's story is that all of a sudden, David is uprooted from his life, uprooted from his throne, 
cast out of his palace and back in the wilderness once again. It's not just fear that he's experiencing. It's this lack of security, right? You all know what it's like to to walk into your home and to immediately have this sense of peace. Okay, I'm at home. I can deal with what's happening here, right? This This is the place where I can have a little bit of control and sanity. And yet now for David, I imagine that it's just like being a foster child who's being moved from home to home, packing their belongings in trash bags, going from this place to that, and not really having a place to lay their head at night. Or maybe it's like being a refugee of war, a Ukrainian at the moment. You see your town leveled, and as you leave, you wonder, well, that was where I went to bed at night. It's the place where I found rest, and it no longer exists. It's wiped off the planet. Where do I go now? It's in those moments where it might be a little bit difficult to really trust in Psalm 4.8, which says, in peace I both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. David isn't just covering up his emotions in order to get through the moment, right? He's expressing them. He's expressing them explicitly towards the Lord, and they're on full display for him to see. As David climbs the Mount of Olives, I see Christ's life and his overlapping. As David says, my heart is in anguish. Luke twenty two forty four 44 says, this is Jesus speaking. Jesus has come to the Mount of Olives and he knows that his betrayer is just a little bit outside of the city on his way to the Mount of Olives. And he's asking the disciples to pray and he says this, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. That's a level of agony that I don't understand and I hope I never do, right? That you're in such pain, you're in such turmoil that you're bleeding through your pores without an open wound. And so you may not feel the sense of this immediate burden from physical death, but you do feel fear. Maybe you feel it through physical abuse or mental abuse. Maybe you're on the verge of financial ruin. Maybe it's emotionally or or relationally, you are so stressed and your fear of loss is so overwhelming that that you're just not sure how you're going to make it through the day. And this is the hope, is that Jesus is right there in that agony and he's experiencing so much more than you could ever imagine. He knows exactly what that's like. He knows. 
He knows what it's like to be on your knees and crying out to God, hoping, wishing that something would change. God, give me another way out of this. And what's funny is that's exactly what David says next. He moves from expressing his emotion to in verses 6 through 12, 6 through 11, saying, God, please, please provide a way out of this. Psalms 55, 6 through 7 says, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. See, we're tempted to just figure out a way to, to traverse the fear. God, just, just help me move past this. Help me get away from it. You often find yourself daydreaming solutions to your problem. If I could just come up with this thing to help me get through this, then we'd be okay. It's, it's what David's doing. And if I could just, it's, it's also exactly what uh, Jenny from Forrest Gump prays, oh, that I were like a dove, I could just get away from this abusive father. But this fear is insurmountable. It doesn't matter how many daydreams you come up with or, or how many uh, solutions you problem solve. It's not going away, God. It's still here. When I open my eyes and I snap back to reality, I just, I, I see the problem and it confronts me again and again and again and moving and hiding and avoiding isn't the solution. I'm not getting anywhere from this. And yet in these very same words, what David is saying is that he's longing for the Lord. He's longing for the Lord himself to find the Lord's rest, to find the Lord as a refuge. Psalm 18.2 says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge and my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. But there's a particular reason why this one's a little more difficult. This fear sets in a little deeper. It's a little harsher. It's a little more difficult for me to, tra to traverse this. David says, For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It's not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the, strong, in the throng. This is a man who knows David intimately and yet seeks his life. A man who knows David's inner being. A man who, who has walked with him and given counsel and walked through the, the tragedies that have already come in his life. And so this fear is multiplied by the familiarity of his current enemy. 
Proverbs 27.6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. But what happens if they're both? What happens if the friend becomes an enemy and now there's a particular sting with that that just isn't easily let go of? When the Lord started getting my attention, I, uh, I switched jobs and I moved back to Columbia, South Carolina, and um, I, I met up with some old friends that I went to college with, and none of them knew that I was searching for something. Uh, but one of them, his real name is Scott, but we called him Jeep because he really liked Jeeps. I don't ask. Uh, it's just what happened. Um, and this guy had, had started going to the church, which I eventually went to, and he invited me into this church. And he also invited me to the house church that, that I eventually went to. He was a part of that small group that I connected with, and he introduced me to the pastor and um, walked me into the church the first, first few th times that I went there. And he had already been this really good friend to me, but now we were experiencing something together that I didn't know really what was happening, but he was there along for the ride and he was witnessing the changes that God made in my life. And then right about the time that he, uh, right, right about the time that we moved to Alaska, he walked away from the Lord. And I was so baffled by that that God could use this person to invite me and help move me through the process and draw me closer to God. And yet there came a time when he said, that's not really worth it. It's the closest thing that I can understand to, to, to being uh, betrayed. And there's, sense, there's a sense of loss and sadness that comes along with your friend experiencing these things with you and then knowing that they're, they're shattered for a lifetime or at least until God moves again, right? So David starts out with uncertainty and then he expresses his fear, his emotions. And then he wants to get away there's this reason that I can't. This one's, this one's special. This one's too familiar for me to just walk away from. Right after he expresses all this, that this is, this is a close friend. This is overwhelming for these particular reasons. The one word that I love more than any other in text, and the text of the scriptures is, but David writes, Verse 16 and 17. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning, at noon, I utter my complaint and, my, and moan, and he hears my voice. David finally moves from uncertainty, unsolid ground, to certainty. No, 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 no. Let's come back. What are the truths? 
What are the truths that I have to, I have to believe about God and who he says he is and how close he is to me? There's two things that I notice in, in these, these verses is that um, there's a frequency and authenticity that David expresses to the Lord. He says, I call to him, not just once, not just twice, but three times a day, morning, noon, and night, I pray, I call to him, and I ask him to come. You know who else prayed three times a day? Daniel. Daniel prayed three times a day. Daniel prayed three times a day, even after he knew that people were going to seek his life if he prayed, specifically for if he prayed. Daniel chapter six, verse 10, he says, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows and upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Gonna do it, doesn't matter. The consequences. I'm going to follow through with this because this is the sure way out. The second thing is that he, he prays with this authenticity. He moans at God. Romans 8, 15 says, for he did not give you a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You don't have to put together the words to get it right you just have to express it and direct it towards him. God, please help me. It's enough. And then David moves. His final position he says, cast your burden upon him in verse 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Psalm 68, 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily bears our burden, the God of our salvation. This is... Uh, this topic has shown up in my life in one very specific way, um, which might be a little bit challenging for me to communicate. I was born in 1981, and the year before that, my mother's dad passed away. And that event, actually both of my grandparents, both of my grandfathers passed away within a year and a half of me being born. And I would say that those events have marked my childhood uh, and even my life in some pretty significant ways, you know? I mean, that, that changes uh, the life of my parents in some significant ways, right? And so I, I always heard growing up that I look a lot like my grandfather. And they would talk about him in these very... Uh, these very loving ways that he was this grandiose personality and fun to be around and there's always laughter and uh, that he, he smoked a pack a day and drank and uh, it's just 
all over the place. And my mom has actually quoted him as saying to my grandmother, uh, when the pastor from their church was coming over, my grandmother said, hey, you might want to put the liquor away in the liquor cabinet. The pastor's coming. And my grandfather says, uh, what does it, it matter if he knows? God already knows that it's there, you know? Like, what's the problem? Um, and so he died at the age of 49. And there's this communication that happens throughout my childhood and my lifetime and my parents saying, hey, you need to take care of yourself. Don't smoke and probably don't drink so much. Uh, I don't drink, by the way, um, but not for religious reasons. Uh, and you should probably exercise more. You're a little overweight, you know? It's like, okay. And then you, you go through life and you, that's easier to deal with when you're young. Like this idea of death is, is far off when you're 21, right? And then you get older and you start having kids and you count the number of years between where you currently are and where your grandfather died. And you realize, if I die then, I, I won't walk my daughter down the aisle. I won't see my kids graduate high school. And it becomes way more real, this sense of, impending doom, right? Because I love these kids and I want to share life with them. And the thought of not being able to see them grow up is overwhelming at times. But this is the place that the Lord has led me to is that can have a little bit of peace, actually got an extreme amount of peace by knowing that if I'm not there, he will be. And that my physical death is just one stop along the way. My physical death isn't the end. My physical death is the one that bears out resurrection for me with him, my father. And so my hope has moved from me being able to experience their life here and now to knowing that they have life in him. What that does, that hope of resurrection has a direct consequence towards fear. It actually transitions that fear into a hope that is beyond all things. And so we cast our burdens on him and he carries them to the cross. This is what I want to end with. Paul writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1 and 6 says, For this reason I remind you to fan the flame, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. 
For God has not given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and self-control. So do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, join me in suffering. Join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And so church, this is what my hope is for us, is that we can come to a place where the fear of suffering is dominated by the joy of resurrection. Dominated by it. That hope utterly crushes the fear that consumes your mind. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we ask that, that you would gather up our burdens. That you would take them and ease the load that we carry. So that we can walk with you so that we can draw near to you to love you more to know you more to be lights in our community to be to be people others look at and wonder how is it that you traverse this life like that overwhelmed by suffering and loss. God, I pray that you would take our fear, take our burdens, and in place you would offer us a hope. Ground us in that hope. resurrection life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is just the best. Thanks, worship team. Um, I think the Lord's bringing an invitation this morning. Uh, Matt, thank you for your word. Um, an invitation to enter the rest of God. He has a rest for you this morning. Just that verse, you know, when I, when I met you, I was never changed. And so if you're singing those words and you think, yeah, whether you're new to faith and you're in this process of figuring out what it looks like to walk with Jesus or you've been walking with him for decades and you go, I, I'm tired. Um, the invitation is for you this morning. So you can respond by um, the, the prayer team's gonna hang out for a little bit after. You can go get prayer. Also, you can grab a friend and say, would you pray with me? The Lord's moving on my heart. I don't know what the next step is. I don't know what he has for me, but it's good stuff. He's a God of clarity. He's a God of goodness, provision, and he's there speaking to you this morning. So um, if you don't know where your next meal is coming from, come talk to me or any of the staff. We have something for you. Um, for the rest of you, we don't officially end until 1230. So if you want to hang out for a few, help tear down, say hi to someone else. Um, God bless you, and we will see you next Sunday.